listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Welcome to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nola Heal. Today, we're joined by Kent Burkholder, Vice President of Decision Frameworks, a boutique decision analysis, training, consulting, and software firm with offices in Houston, USA, and Calgary, Canada. Founded in 1999, Decision Frameworks uses a practical team-based approach to enable decision quality in their client organizations. Kent is an advisor and consultant with broad experience in all elements of decision quality and risk analysis. He is a highly skilled facilitator with diverse experience, guiding project teams in both asset and corporate strategy evaluations. Mr. Burkholder is an expert in strategy framing, economic modeling, uncertainty assessment, and all levels of risk analysis, including value of information analysis. Kent Burkholder holds a Bachelor of Applied Science in Mechanical Engineering, is a professional engineer, a member of the Society of Petroleum Engineers, and a fellow of the Society of Decision Professionals. Welcome, Kent. Thank you very much for joining us today. To start us off, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background beyond the bio. What brought you to Decision Frameworks? Well, uh, yeah, a little bit of a long conversation. It gets into the question about uh, how did you get started in business? Um, I was exposed to what's known as decision analysis way back when as a young engineer uh, at Petra Canada. And I really enjoyed it. I was dragged into a strategy project to assist. And I loved how uh, the structured nature of the process helped make decisions. And I always had that in the back of my mind. I then moved to a software company. This is the company Merak. And I moved around the world and was there for 10 years or 12 years, um, helping them build business in various locations in the world. And we started working back in about uh, 1999 with Ellen Cooper Smith, who is the founder of Decision Frameworks. And that got me back into the, the domain of decision analysis. So when Merak got purchased by Schlumberger, I stayed there for a couple of years and decided to move away. And that's when I looked up Ellen and joined Decision Framework. So that was in 2003. Fantastic. So almost a circular small world kind of connection there. It, it is very much a small world. And, and, you know, those who live in Calgary know that everybody knows everybody. Ellen isn't in Calgary. So Decision Frameworks is still a smallish company. We have uh, an office in Houston. I'm here located in Calgary. And then we have a, a representative in London, uh, England, and uh, another person in Perth, Australia. Our office in Houston is about eight people, and there are two of us here in Calgary. So boutique-ish consulting company. Yeah. So can you perhaps run us through, give us a bit of an understanding of the services that sure. you offer to clients? Sure. So what we, we call ourselves a decision quality enablement firm, and, and there are a lot of things to, to unpack there, but let's, let's focus on the enablement firm. So unlike many consulting organizations who come into an organization and, and do all the work, um, so you can think of the, you know, a big consulting company like McKinsey, they come in with a, a big team of people and they collect all their data and do all their analytics and 
build a big, beautiful report to back to management at the, at the client company. We don't necessarily work that way. Our preference is to guide the work of the client and to teach them how to use our structured decision quality approach in their business processes. And so that's what we mean by an enablement firm is we're teaching them to do the work instead of us doing it for them. And we provide training, obviously. Uh, we do do consulting, obviously, but we have to sometimes to prove the concept and, and those sorts of things and support some of the work done by the client. And then we have software as well to, to enable the client to move, do some of this more quickly. Very interesting. So do you supply the software to the client or do they use your software in the process of those assignments? Uh, both. Like there are clients who have had our software for 10 years and they use it independent of us. And at other times when we're going into an engagement, we we will bring the software with us and and work with it and leave it with the client to, to continue their project and those sorts of things. It depends on the the client and the particular need at the time. Yeah. Awesome. So are there any particular themes or, or um, biggest challenges that you find the clients have when they decide to engage you? The biggest challenge is, is just, just hearing the word decision quality or decision analysis. It almost challenges the client to say, wait a minute, are you telling me, Kent, that I don't make good decisions? And in a nice way, there's a little bit of a yes to it in, in that, uh, and research has shown this over and over and over again, that humans have uh, systematic biases or another better word for that of flaws in the way we make decisions under uncertainty. And decision analysis is the old term that we're using. We're moving toward decision quality is just a structured approach to those complex decisions to break them apart so that we can work them more easily and get insight to help us make decisions. So get around some of those flaws and systematic biases. Okay, so so you work with individuals as well as teams, or is it largely it, team based? It's it's largely team based, and that and and some of the complexity comes because of multiple people being involved, right? So when you have let's say big projects, let's let's invent a big project. Let's say you're a software company and you want a big release of a new module. You have a number of programmers involved and, and you've got a number of individual tasks to achieve and you probably need your marketing people involved to understand interface design and, you know, and all that kind of stuff or the client needs and whatnot. So it's very complex. And if you, if you try to keep all of that in your head, it's, it's quite difficult to do. So we pull, if you're building a strategy for that particular project, we start to pull apart the elements of the decision and help the client work through the strategy. Really is very, very interesting. So it's a very structured methodology. Um, Is the assignment, uh, does it take a fair amount of time? Is there a lot of preparation and then working through it? Or obviously they vary. It it does, yeah. Does it take a lot of time? No, for the, 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 the key elements where we add a huge amount of benefit to it. And let me explain. If you break the problem or the process down 
into steps is relatively trivial. It's first defining what is your decision problem, step one. Step two, what are the potential alternatives you could consider? And then step three, how do those alternatives compare? So that's trivial, right? Absolutely. But when we get that into complex, it is very simple. <laughs> but when we get into complex problems, um, what, you know, you, you, you humans start to allow their biases to take over. So it, it, what is the problem? You might think, okay, a pump has failed and I just need to replace the pump. Well, do you? Is that really the problem? Is do you need a new pump or is there is that actually the problem? Should you be doing something else instead of using a pump? And it's, you know, your perspective on the problem, you jump into conclusions. And what we're forced, not forcing is, is a strong word, but nudging our clients to do is just pause at each step and think about it before we jump in. Sometimes our teams uh, treat this as checkmark exercises. Yeah, I've done that. And, uh, and move on. And in doing so, they trip up, right? Yeah, they're skipping a couple of those right. those questioning of do we really need to do that or right. should we be doing that? Or even is there an alternative? Should we go be going a totally different direction? Indeed. Indeed. You know, an example of uh, do you have the right problem frame, I remember, was, uh, you know, a description of a, an old building with an old elevator that moved really slowly. And, and the, the uh, people living in the building were starting to complain, it's too slow and I have to wait so long. And so they, the building owners started to explore all these major projects, you know, that it's a small, it's an old elevator, so it's small and everything in, in the elevator world is bigger. So they, could they expand that cavity and could they get a bigger motor in and where do they put it? And it's a big capital expense and, and, and. And then somebody twisted the problem around and said, wait a minute, is this about a new elevator or is it about what people are doing when they're waiting for the elevator? Like, is, is it about the time, uh, the time it takes for the elevator to go up and down or is it about finding something for people to do while they wait? So you change your perspective on the problem and you go, oh, I could put a TV above the elevator and they could watch the news while they're waiting. Or we could put a mirror there and they could prim themselves up in, in the hallway before going down or... Very different perspective. Yeah. No longer noticing the time duration of the different waiting. Different perspective changes the problem. Because potentially the journey itself right. in the elevator was not taking all that much time. It was waiting for the arrival of the elevator. That was a totally different get rid right. of the bias. The bias is that was the right. total duration of the wait right. to the arrival versus the wait and the right. and the journey. Yeah. That's exactly right. So when we look at decision quality, we think there are six elements. So if a team has done, a team and the decision makers together have done a great job, the first thing they've done is they've framed the problem well. That's the first. The second thing they've done is they understand their values. And what I mean by that, the objectives, what are they after in this? Is this all about cash flow or is it something else that they're valuing in it. So we go back to the elevator example. Is it the speed or is it people's impatience and, and giving them something to do? So look at different objectives. 
The next thing is considering uh, different alternatives. One of problems, I'm an engineer, and one of the problems with engineers is see problem, go to solution. <laughs> no detail in between. <laughs> no, exactly. And it's not, and we, and we well, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't include all engineers, but we often don't look broadly enough at the alternatives. And we, and we can even discard some early. And, uh, and that's a flaw in, in our thinking. So that's the, the third element of decision quality. The next is when you need to go into analytics or some sort of comparison of those alternatives and you need to collect some data, how have you brought in that data? How have you collected it? Um, is it a broad enough set of sources? Have you done statistical analysis if you need to? And if you're thinking about the future as in forecasting, have you included some uncertainty in where the world and the way the world could go? So this is a macro sense or the way your project could go on a costing or whatever schedule or whatever. So that's the fourth element in, in your evaluations. Have you broadly considered uncertainty. And then when you build models, are they super complex and, and difficult to understand or are they fit for purpose and, and insightful? And then, uh, so that's the fifth element as my phone blinks away. Absolutely. So potentially, do you look at a variety of options at each of those decision points in the in each each aspect, or do you find that the team would still identify a few and then validly start honing them down to a limited number to consider through the process? Yeah, we do. Uh, the latter. So uh, what we'll do from a workflow, remember the, the, the high level workflow is what's your problem, what are your alternatives and how do they compare? Um, when Once we've got some reasonable alternatives, we can go through a number of steps of comparison. And the first we often do is a, a relatively high level qualitative comparison. So we look at our overall objectives and do kind of a little bit of a thumb in the air is this meeting going to meet these objectives or not and from that initial screening we can say hey yeah a few of these alternatives really aren't going to make the mark and so we can eliminate them from further consideration or at least push them to a side for now as, All right. as an alternative yeah yeah, yeah. If, if if there's some more viable alternatives consider those first unless you find that you're going right. in a direction that makes one of those yeah. those potentially valuable yeah. later in the process to circle back and take a look at those ones so i would think that a lot of the client projects that you work on probably have fairly diverse teams oh, very, very Do much you so. find the diversity adds to the process uh, it, yeah Yes, very much so. And you need to honor that diversity. In fact, you know, going back to the six elements of decision quality, the last element is exactly what you say. Do you have the right people in the room? Um, and so we go, I'll answer your first question on the diversity and then come back to the do we have the right people in the room and why that's so important. On the diversity, you absolutely want to honor the diversity in thought. You you want to have great ideas from anywhere. And so we very much look at brainstorming exercises as being, and there are often multiple brainstorming exercises through it to ensure that we're capturing a rich, the richest list of ideas that we can. You know, absolutely encourage that. Now, um, 
me and others <laughs> are kind of what I like to call the grumpy driller in the back of the room. The, the person who's always like, that'll never work or, you know, something like that. And our, our natural tendency is to ignore those voices that are always the grumpy person or, you know, saying, you know, yeah. pushing against or saying, you know, something negative. But research has shown that those people, everybody has a valid opinion. And, and going against the grain of the nat- team's natural thought is a benefit to the team as long as they listen to it and consider it openly. You can, one of the big flaws in human decision making is we, this is group think. It's kind of a, you know, we're all smart people, so we'll make smart decisions. And so as the team goes along a given path, nobody necessarily actually pauses to challenge, are we on the right path? And so that grumpy driller in the back of the room, as I like to say, kind of alerts us to maybe we're making some mistakes. Yeah, just take that extra moment to consider someone that just says, hang on, I'm just going to ask the stupid question or play devil's advocate. Absolutely. It's probably a valuable contribution at points through the decision. Hugely valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. When you know, look at companies forming business strategy today, one of the flaws in our business strategies is that we consider today's business environment as the new normal. And we forget that we often trip into this new normal. So all you have to do is go back. Like if you, if you think of the oil and gas business and you go back 10 years, natural gas prices in North America were at $10 a a million BTU and, uh, and they're going up and this is, you know, this is going to be a great business for a long time. And then it wasn't. <laughs> it's so true. And almost overnight, it was, oh, this is a new normal. What, yeah, what happened indeed. to that old normal? And, and today, this new normal of $2.50 uh, <laughs> per million BTU is the new normal. And we're going to be here for a while. And But, if you know, we'll trip into some other business environment and consider it the new normal. And so where I'm saying, and you go back to my comment about business strategy, We should consider new future worlds. We call them scenario scenarios. Um, We should consider the way that world might go differently than what we're thinking on our key business drivers, you know, the key macro external uncertainties and consider, well, it could go in this way. The world could go in a completely different way and map them out and make them a little bit real. Don't just say the prices are high or prices are low, but just talk about how did we get into this world and what's going on and build it up. And then say, okay, if we knew that world was going on, strategy put in place. And then if the world went a different way, would we have a different strategy? Mm -hmm. Are there elements in both of those strategies that we always do? Right. And it really provides some insight into our business strategies, sees where our challenges are and allows us to think ahead of time before worlds change and stuff like that. Yeah. You likely won't nail it. Nope. Like you're not going to predict the future, but you're going to build 
a business strategy that's more flexible. Yeah, and more resilient potentially. Yeah, if that sudden absolutely. radical change happens, it's less of a shock to the participants in that business because sure. they, they've practiced thinking on their feet and they've probably come up with at least some of the alternatives in this new reality that they can use to move absolutely. forward, at least in a shorter term till they replan their sure. strategy. Yeah. Yeah, and you're always coming back to your strategy and uh, and revisiting it. And if you're seeing that the world is changing, then you, you now have pre-thought some of the, the reactions that you might have. Fantastic. So where do you find your clients would typically involve you in their decision-making and strategy? So uh, where we get client called in um, when, with clients who are new to us, it's where their teams are tripping along and spiraling and working the same problem over and over and over and not coming to a resolution. Interesting. So they're looking so for change, a complete look, change. Indeed. And so they look out to, into the space and say, I need to find some help for my team. And what we'll do is just kind of get them back on the tracks. With our regular clients, they can anticipate the type of problems that they will need some external facilitation for. So, you know, the normal day-to-day uh, -day problems, they've learned from us how to frame those problems and work through the analytics, and they're all good to go by themselves. But sometimes they want an external facilitator, both to, to make sure they're um, staying on track and not necessarily being... Uh, moved around internally by individual personalities. Yeah. But as well, it allows everybody on the team to play in it. So the, ex the external mm. facilitator like us uh, then is managing all the conversation and whatnot. And everybody in the room from the client side can speak to the problem. Another situation we get involved in is if um, two companies are coming together or multiple companies for that matter, yeah. and they want an external party to, rep to represent the process. That's, uh, th and that could be a very valuable application. I would oh, absolutely. think an interesting, totally different approach because you've got a potential clash of cultures, yep. clash of experience and thought processes where uh, you would be able to facilitate drawing out the silent voices, the comments in passing, yep. the, the distraction factors, park those. Right. That's very, exactly right. Very interesting. Quite diverse applications actually for your for your decision oh, processes. It's, so it's any, anything that is complex. And complexity comes in, as I said, the number of people involved, the number of decisions and the interrelatedness of those decisions, and then the uncertainties. So the uncertainties could be the way the world is going, but it could also be the underlying project, as in, I've invented this new widget, will it sell? There's, you know, and how much will it cost? So that those are internal uncertainties, where the external uncertainties is like the economic environment when, when my widget is available and stuff like that. Absolutely. Right? And, uh, and potentially, 
um, with some, probably particularly in commodity environments, where does one produce for a particular market or an alternative market? Right. And if it takes a while to develop this methodology to produce this widget, mm. yeah. uh, what will that market look like or what will the world, in fact, be doing and right. looking like at, at that future right. stage? Indeed. The pharmaceutical industry are big proponents of, of this decision-quality mm. process because they've got a long germination of their products with a lot of uncertainty of ever getting to market and whether or not the product will work, right? And, yes. and so they need to plan for those big uncertainties. Yeah, that, that's actually an interesting application because I understand with these COVID vaccines that most of those pharmaceutical companies had actually already started down the road of developing oh, wow. something that they could use as a starting point for right. the development of their vaccines. So yeah. it's probably that decision framework that had led them to that point right. of having the kernel chemical yeah. or whatever that they developed. And then it's easy to or easier to accelerate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because coming up with a, a vaccine in such a short period of time, they've jumped through enormous hoops. It's, it's pretty Yeah, all the stories say exactly that. It's that it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's impressive. And to, yeah, and to see it from multiple places too. And all within the same approximately week or two that they, right. they were able to come to market and announce right. it. So, right. yeah, it's, it, it's an awesome uh, test case in, in what humans can accomplish. Yeah. So did you see any particular trends impacting the industry or our business environment over the next, say, three to five years? Yeah, I think we're in a world yeah, of, of uncertainty. Mm. I say that wondering if we're always in a world of uncertainty, you know. Um, there was a, isn't there a famous saying, something like, is something like forecasting is easy unless it's about the future? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> something, something like that, yes. Something yes. like that. Um, and, but I look at the future and wonder, you know, there's, you know, certain basic economics, like we, the, we talk about the COVID world, and I scratch my head and I, just, I say, okay, wait a minute. You know, all our businesses have been hampered and people laid off and loans held up. But, you know, payments have to come eventually and all that. So there seems like underlying in our economies, a lot of uncertainty going on. Mm -hmm. Yet the markets from a stock price basis are going up. They're insane. Yeah. And, and you're kind of going, away, uh, huh? I don't know how this is going to play out. And then, you know, not to pick out necessarily Trump, but... You look at the political uncertainty that may arise from that. And, and then you think to the examples of Keystone Pipeline and regulatory environment and, and environmental issues in general. And you wonder how that's going to play out. And there's a lot to me in the in the business world, there's a lot of interesting uncertainty playing out. And so I I look to, you know, what I said earlier on this scenario planning to be an important part of people's business yeah. strategy. And I think with the speed of change in the world and the globalization, yes. which allows impacts to be more pervasive when they come out of one area, all of a sudden a, a decision in 
you know, Southeast Asia can impact North America without us even realizing it. So, yeah, the the scenario planning has got to be a very, very important part of all of this, our successful businesses going forward. I think so. You know, anyone who believes that their world today is going to be the world next year is mm. probably confused the, you know their right. businesses will not survive and uh, right. and that's the challenge for the smaller businesses because so many of them just don't have the capacity to think through a vi- variety of scenarios and as we mentioned they don't have the diversity of thought internally Indeed. Yeah, we're, we're so, you know, one of the worst biases that we've got as humans is confirmation bias. Yes. So if, if we have a belief that something is going to play out, that we, then we read all the news that confirms those beliefs and we push away anything that, that, dis, that does not confirm it. And, and, and so, you know, when you're starting a new business and you think your widget is the best, Every, you're collecting all this information that says the demand is going to be high mm-hmm. and you may you may ignore reality yeah and, and so often it is the case because of as you say our natural human tendency is to only absorb into our conscious or subconscious the confirming facts rather than seeing those right. that just spark a little contrary thought and to a certain extent right. it's survival because if we were looking yeah. at all the negative all the time, we probably, as a species, would not survive. The, the biggest, uh, the biggest issue with the human brain is that it takes energy to think, and so as such, our brain is designed to go to a quick and easy mm-hmm. answer instead of engaging the brain, and, and it's it's just a natural thing to not waste energy. I heard on a podcast recently that a chess master in a given uh, match over a day will burn 6,000 calories. It's enormous. Of, it really is. It's yeah. enormous. That's, that's equivalent to cycling up mountains for five hours, six hours. You're going to burn that kind of energy. And so to have the human brain be equipped to turn it off and and go to easy answers you could you could understand that especially for survival instances where maybe energy is conserved yeah right so you absolutely see where the genesis of is for our the way our brain functions absolutely very interesting that's the the book uh, by daniel kahneman thinking fast and slow where you know the slow the slow brain is the thinking brain the fast one goes I got the answer. And, yeah, and, and you've go got to learn to develop right. both sides of that that brain for the best. Absolutely. So. Yes. And know when to turn so it on. So with this variety of experience that you have with so many different clients and in so many different countries and operating mm-hmm. situations, have you found any particular aspects that make some successful where others really do seem to struggle? individual companies yeah it all comes down to a change management issue right anytime you've got an internal process that you're you're wanting to change within an organization you need top-down support for sure and bottom-up drive in both ways and the change management people know this way better than i but just having seen where it takes root 
in certain companies and where it doesn't, it all relates to that. Is there enough of a benefit in the senior management positions to see, yeah, this really helps them. And in additionally, enough benefit with the teams that they get a better dialogue with decision makers and, and clear direction and all that kind of stuff that everybody kind of likes it and does it, then it'll take root. As long as people aren't allowed to go back to their old habits, because again, we get back to the natural tendency is if I have to learn something, I have to think and I'd rather not. And I'd rather yeah. just go back to the old yeah. stuff. Right. So we need some energy. So around very it much. To, so it comes there. very much down to culture and then supporting yep. and encouraging and reinforcing through Indeed. the process. Indeed. Yeah. And some companies take longer than others. They need to see a few more examples than others. And some companies have very strong leadership that truly believe and then just make it happen and support and very supportive of their people and, you know, getting them the right tools and training. Once again, it comes down to people, just how varied and diverse we all are (laughs) and how difficult we can make our own lives sometimes. (laughs) Absolutely. No question there. So what worries and excites you about the future of uh, our industries and our provinces, Alberta and the country? Alberta, obviously, the energy question for uh, that's front and center. It's it's the elephant in the room, as it were. Uh, I'm super curious in with Alberta in relationship to Canada in particular, because that's something we have control over. The view that we get to about the oil industry or Alberta being the, the <laughs> bad apple versus each of us taking ownership for what we can do in the environmental cause, right? I, you know, my, my daughter is very much an environmental evangelist, and she and I have very detailed conversations about all of this. And she'll be the yeah, but, and I'll be back at her with it. and. Through very detailed and educated conversations, we've come down to, you know, all we can do is for each of us to burn less energy or use less energy and pollute less, right? And when I look at the the Canadian issue, I think that people haven't recognized their place in this. They're looking for Alberta to just shut in its oil production and think that solves the problem. But it doesn't. If they're still driving the cars the same amount and we're still using plastics and we're still doing all that, then all we've done is change where that petroleum comes from. And and we haven't changed how much is necessarily burned in the world. So this is where I hope the dialogue goes is to say, hey, people, it's up to us to make change. It isn't necessarily, it's a balanced approach, but I'm saying it isn't necessarily. The source isn't the producer of the problem. They're just producing into the market. If the market evaporates, if we are no longer using those petroleum products in quite as many things as we are, including pharmaceuticals and clothing and all of our modern conveniences, if there is no market for that product, the product will not be produced in the first place. We are not going to drill for oil. (laughs) Right. And and that's what we need to get back to is to say, hey, let's let's change our behavior. 
individually, and then the product goes away. It's easy to put those companies out oh, of business. Yeah, can do that tomorrow. The product, yeah. obviously. Yeah, but there is. We have to remember if you go back to uh, cigarette smoking. That the approach was the same. Well, not completely the same. We did push back on the producers mm-hmm. of the cigarettes, but we also advertised, and I think this is where the big benefit came from: advertising to individuals to say how bad it was for us to smoke. And so we we killed those businesses in North mm-hmm. America, if you can use that word, through the changing the demand as much or more. The, the, And yet another example of we all have control over our own decisions. So if we make those small decisions in our own realm of influence, the greater influence can, in a case like that, kill the industry or reform the industry. Because, I mean, many of these industries do not need to go away. They will serve a purpose in a different way in in our future world. Absolutely. Awesome. So do you have any thoughts that you'd like to leave us with today, perhaps? So I get back to this idea of decision quality and what is decision quality and where we get tripped up on it. And even for each of us to go back to any decision we're we're making and just stick to the fundamentals of what problem are we trying to solve? What do we value? As in, what do we really want out of the solution? Is it all about money or is it something else? And then to broaden your view of the alternatives to start with, just doing that alone will help our individual decisions, whether it's what university my son should go to or, you know, should I invest in a, a, or what is my investing strategy or what is my business strategy for my company? Those are all, those three elements will improve our decisions more than anything else. Yeah, and I must admit, in in speaking with someone like you, it certainly broadens the thinking process that all of us could Mm. make better decisions by just occasionally in any particular given day, week, month, just stopping ourselves and saying, well, are there alternatives? Yeah. Should we think of something that is a little different or play our own devil's advocate in some right. of these decisions or potentially even bring other players into our business meetings? Are we including all of the right people in these decisions because certainly in my role, yes, I'm finance as CFO, but so many of the business meetings I've been in, I've felt that the decision is being limited to the executive team for argument's sake or the functional team within the company and the couple where we've said, well, I tell you what, we're going to bring someone completely unrelated to this particular topic into the meeting just as an observer, those people are usually just their presence will bring you to starting to think of some of these, these questions from a different perspective. What we say, you know, who needs to be in the room? Well, it's the people making the decision for sure, but the people who build this Mm -hmm. decision and the people who operate the decision, right? Now the builders and operators may not have a decision choice to be made. They may not be signing the check, but they should have a voice in the room because they have to live with it as a woman, right? And if they're not, 
are they going to be strong supporters of the decision? Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, and, and the, the best yeah. person to tell you how to change the widget is the person who's currently using or building that widget because right. they've Absolutely. seen the, the downfalls, pitfalls, and or advantages of that yeah. particular widget. And many a decision has been yeah. made by an executive to kill something or, to, or stop doing something where the person says, well, that is the kernel of the secret sauce here. So, uh, yeah, you've now killed the right aspect so really really awesome it's a fantastic conversation and thank you very much for alerting us all to the the potential in making valuable decisions how can listeners perhaps contact you if they want to learn more about uh, you and your work and decision frameworks itself probably the easiest way is to go to our website which is decisionframeworks.com um, and you'll see my name there. And uh, But you could also just as easily reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll do. And I'll link all of that up in the show notes so that people are able okay. to track you down easily once oh. uh, they, they're no longer listening on the run or in the car, shall we say. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. So thanks very much okay. for joining us today. That really was an awesome conversation. And certainly I hope Excellent. that uh, the listeners can get a lot of value out of even just thinking through the alternatives of the way they make decisions. Have an awesome Excellent. day. Thanks, Nola. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients achieve the business growth and success they are capable of. They innovate and strategically anticipate, fine-tune their highest impact business variables, and regularly exceed aggressive growth and cash flow targets. If you would like to know more, here are four ways you can help energize your business growth. Number one, Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast to hear from other companies that have overcome growth hurdles they have experienced. Hit the subscribe button in your podcast app right now or go to proteaconsulting.ca slash podcast. Number two, get your free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing to discover her proven strategies for growth. Go to proteaconsulting.ca slash book. Number three, download a copy of the Financial Growth Scorecard to assess your current status and what to work on next on your growth journey. Go to proteaconsulting.ca slash growth. Number four, work with us to achieve the growth and success your company is truly capable of. To find out if we're a fit, Email NOLA at info at proteaconsulting.ca or send us a note on the website at proteaconsulting.ca slash contact.